Chris ministers to youth and their families, but he doesn't just minister to youth and their families. He ministers to whoever, whoever is standing in front of him. And so youth pastors are not second class, I know, because I was one for a decade or more. Um, and it is a privilege to watch you grow, to see you in the last seven plus years, right? It's been seven years yeah. now. You just had your work anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, grow and learn and develop and mature. And I know that this message is flowing out of your heart, out of what God is doing in you. And so we honor you as a man of God on this stage. We honor you not as a junior pastor. You are a full pastor, just like me. And, um, and God has called you. And so, Lord, as Chris shares, I pray that you would bless him and fill his mouth with messages for you. So thank you for my friend. Uh, I just honor him. Uh, and I ask that you would give him great joy as he shares these things with us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go get him. Amen. Well, good morning. And I want to talk about one of my favorite authors. I am not the bookiest person in the world. So if you hear me say a favorite author, listen up. Because there aren't very many for me. <laughs> His name's Henry H. Nowen. He was a renowned priest and professor at, maybe you've heard of these schools, Notre Dame, uh, Yale, and, um, and what's the other one? <laughs> uh, uh, I wanted to say Princeton. I'm like, no, that was my professor, uh, but, but uh, Harvard, and at, at those divinity schools. And yes, they do have divinity schools where they teach theology and, and prepare the leaders of, of, of the church in the future. This guy for 20 years um, worked at these schools. In, in his work, he also essentially pastored. How would you like that? And, uh, and he had, after about 20 years, this overwhelming sense that he needed to be done. That his time and season of doing these things was coming to an end. And now, you got to think, this guy for 20 years has been uh, doing conferences, he's essentially preaching, and he's lecturing the best, as he puts it, the best and the brightest that wanted to rule the world when it came to Christian leaders. What a job. (laughs) No pressure. And this overwhelming sense just kept nagging at him that he needed to be done. And it was related to some of his health concerns. He felt like he was getting worn out. In in the churchy terms, we say burnt out. But there there wasn't life flowing out of his work anymore. And so he sat down one day and he prayed this prayer that maybe you and I've prayed before. He said, Lord, show me where you want me to go, and I will follow you. But please be clear and unambiguous about it. Amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And again, I don't know about you, but I've found myself praying these types of things throughout my life and my journey with Jesus, right? Whether it's been for a job, Uh, And I'm not just talking church jobs, any job. (laughs) 
job, whether it's about someone I'm thinking about marrying or some other experience or life circumstance, right, that I happen to be going through. And if you're like me, uh, guilty as charged, oftentimes I've thought that that prayer is all on God, that it's his responsibility, all of it, right? That it's God listening to me. It's God caring about me. It's God providing exactly what I'm thinking or looking for. And I want to be really clear, God has a desire for all those things in your life, okay? I'm not, I'm not canceling any of that out. But there is a piece of this prayer that Henry Nouwen prayed, that, that anytime we've prayed it, there is a piece of this prayer that's actually not God's responsibility. It's actually ours. And you've heard the word all morning long, um, and it's this word surrender. There is a real act of surrender that has to come from us for God to be able to move. I'm going to say that again. There is a real act of surrender that has to happen for God to be able to move in our lives. I'm going to tangent for just a quick second, not in my notes. Do you understand the implications of that? When you're begging God to do something, let's, let's say this. When you're in conversation with somebody and they're like, you know what? I don't know about God. I just, I don't see him doing anything in my life. The question that should be immediately asked is, have you surrendered? Are you making yourself available for God to work and for God to move? Because why is that on him if you're not, you don't want him in your life? This, this prayer implies our willingness to go with God and his response. That's what surrender is about. And before we talk about surrender and flush this whole thing out, I wanted to um, read you the rest of this prayer story from Henry Nouwen. Okay? So he's been, after some time of praying this, uh, Jean and I'm not French speaking, so... Bear with me for butchering every part of this. Jean Venier, a friend and founder of Le Arche Communities for People with Intellectual Disabilities, approached him. And he said that God so clearly spoke in that moment, go and live among the poor in spirit, and they will heal you, that he couldn't resist the invitation. And the rest of the story is this. He spent the rest of his days, he died in 1996, he spent over 10 years doing exactly that the rest of his life. Surrender looked like not fighting for reputation, position, intellectual rigor, or any other familiarities that he had accustomed himself with over those 20 years. To receive, Henry Nouwen had to relinquish his ideas about what his future in the hands of God would look like and believe God will do and, and that God would do just as he said he would with this like unassumed trust. 
And for many of us, surrender is about control, right? We're being honest. And this, this thought really hit me, that surrender Surrender in the American culture is like a curse word. It is. Like, we don't touch it. Like, we don't touch it as Christians. We don't touch it as name any other, other American of any other faith. We, oh, non-faith people as Americans, we don't touch it. It is so hard for us to get our brains and our hearts wrapped around this concept of surrender. It's not our thing. It conjures different feelings and fears for many of us. Uh, things I was thinking about that's done for me. Is God sending me somewhere? I'll be miserable. Will I suffer unreasonably? Will I miss out on a full life and fun? We have fears of abandoning our pleasures in surrender to God. We have fears of not using our skills and intellect in surrendering to God. And we have fears of being unimportant or un insignificant in surrendering to God. Let's just call it and put it all out on the stage today. Let's just lay everything out where we all fit. Somewhere in there, you relate to that. I know what mine is. It's the last one. The thought of being financially unable to provide for myself, for my family is scary. The thought of being unwelcome by friends or family is scary, depending on your family uh, or friends. <laughs> Thought of not being known or understood is scary. And as I process this idea, this principle, this truth with the Lord, uh, there's a few things I've discovered about surrender. And so here we go. Surrender is to cease resistance to any enemy or opponent and submit to their authority. Which may raise an immediate question for you. Is God really my enemy or my opponent? Well, James 4. Let's take a look at that. It says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you don't have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Some strong words. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. And then the next one. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. I love and I hate this section of scripture. Is off, I visit it often because it reminds me of surrender and how much I need to surrender. But I want to point something out that we just read. Passions and pleasures, if you heard or saw that, uh, in English, I actually really appreciate that whoever was translating this into English left it the way we read it, uh, because uh, in our American culture, we misunderstand the actual word. Sensual is, is the word that passions and pleasures, it's the same word for both, both of those 
those words that they use. Sensual is actually the English word that's most appropriate, but we only think of it in terms of sex in our culture, which stinks, because it means much, much more. Sensual is this way, this singular word that there's a way of expressing when we experience or encounter something that relates to all five of our senses. Think about it. All of them. Our taste, love food. Mm. <laughs> taste, hearing, sight, smell, and then touch, physical. It's just one of the five. This idea is that it's all-encompassing. Our passions, our, our passions, our desires, it's everything in our life that pleases us. And before we get too crazy, I'm going to put a disclaimer and then say it again just so you hear it a couple times. God made us that way, okay? There's, there's, there's a part of that where we're made for these things. But we're made for it in a specific way, in a certain, uh, in a certain function, and that's what we're going to talk about. James is saying that if we live in a state of self-focus with friends, food, finances, or freedom, we are expressing, maybe unintendedly, an aggressive act towards God. God is not surprised by these moments in our lives. I want you to hear that. This is maybe one of the most important things said this morning. God is not surprised by those moments that we have in our lives. So he's not looking to start a war with you, okay? But he wants you and I to be aware of this. The consequences of these very real things are fear, exhaustion from trying to keep a certain image up, or trying to keep money in our account, Depression, loneliness. And what God is calling us into is something more. More loving, more joy-filled, more hope-filled. Meaningful relationships and experiences. And so James chapter 4, 6, and 7 say this. God gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We're going to bounce between two, two passages of Scripture because they say almost exactly the same thing. First Peter chapter 5, 5 through 6. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God, uh, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he will raise you up in due time. Humble, submit, surrender, they're all the same words. They're synonymous. In the English language, there is no, there is no difference between any of them. So God is saying, submit ourselves, humble ourselves to him, to God. And these guys are being redundant, all right? If you study this like I did, it's like three different times in two lines, they're saying, Surrender. 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 Both of them imply this action of intentionally positioning ourselves to follow and obey another over us, over ourselves. Humility or submitting, surrender, they're connected. Submission implies that I can't control everything, and I shouldn't. 
uh, I was thinking about putting it this way. God is really saying surrender is not self-reliance, but God compliance. Right? Like, simple, I need that. Something easy, not, not self-reliance, but God compliance. Agreeing with God over our circumstances, our experiences, our thoughts, our feelings, or the one that's maybe hardest for me, my personal values. I have a passion for those things. God's not looking for self-reliant people. He's looking for God-reliant people. People who are willing to trust him. Go where he goes, do what he does, say what he says. And fear of surrender can cause us to shrink back to trusting in our own intelligence or experiences or competency, which I'm going to call it out this morning is pride. That's all it is. There is no other definition for it. It's really simple. It's pride. And God says in Proverbs 18, 12, before his downfall, a person's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Henry Nouwen saw pride as a barrier to God by saying, the temptation of power is greatest when intimacy is a threat. We claw and we grasp for some sense of control when we feel that the most personal things might get lost or taken away. Right? Like, I'm letting, letting us process that together because I'm thinking the same thing right now. I'm like, whew, that is so true. And here's the deal. This is the greatest lie the enemy, I think, the greatest lie the enemy has ever given. And the greatest lie our hearts have ever told us. That by surrendering to God, we're going to be hurt. We're going to miss out. We're going to be in want. So what does humbling ourselves actually look like? C.S. Lewis said this about humility and humbleness. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And scripture says this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 read like this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's not that you can't think about yourself. You kind of need to. And, I'm, I, and I, I think you guys would approve of this. I'm dressed. Like, I'm standing here today dressed and fed and watered and, and, and in good shape right now. Because there is self-care. There is responsibility for us to take care of this temple, right? But when that becomes our only focus, we are a people of self-focus, we're in trouble. We must be careful of what self-focus or pride can manifest in us. Uh, things like judging, judging how church should be done, how other people should make uh, important, what is important to me. How other people should act according to my rules and my way of doing things. 
We fight surrender because we feel the need We fight, we fight surrender because we feel the need to be relevant and to matter and to be in control. And I'm going to do the youth pastor thing and say, that just sucks. I don't know how else to put it. Final thought from Henry Nouwen. This is the last quote he gets today. I am deeply convinced that the Christian of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her own vulnerable self. I'm gonna let, we're going to let that just hang up there for a second. You can screenshot it, do what you need to do. Take a pic. And the impact of living this way is world-changing, and I'll prove it to you right now. Jesus. Jesus did this, and he changed the world. I mean, look at our calendars. Even if you don't believe in him, you're functioning based off of his life. So, so here we go. In the garden, Jesus prayed before being arrested and going to the cross. And I came across this gal, Mary Fairchild, who gives a really good perspective on this moment. She writes, Jesus Christ was in agony. We sense the intense conflict in Jesus' prayer as his sweat contained great droplets of blood, citing Luke twenty-two forty-four. He asked his Father, Heavenly Father, to remove the cup of suffering. And then he surrendered. Not my will, but yours be done. Here, Jesus demonstrated the turning point in prayer for all of us. Prayer is not about bending God's will to get what we want. The purpose of prayer is to seek God's will and then align our desires with his. Jesus changed the course of the world through this one act of surrender. The thing is, he just kept surrendering after that. But he changed the world. And for many of us, if not all of us in this room, our lives And so maybe you're wondering this question like I did. Does that mean I will have a greater impact on people if I surrender to God? Yes. That's the simple answer. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be like Jesus. The results are going to be like Jesus. That's how the formula works. This is exactly how God designed our lives in the world to be. But will he take care of us? Can I trust God? Well, James 4, 8 talks about that. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then we'll read through the rest of it. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 1 Peter 5, and I'm going to read again 5 and 6, but we're going to go, go to 7 this time. And let's see, there it is. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he will raise you up in due time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. He cares about you. So James 4, 8 says, God will physically be with you. You draw near to him, he's going to come really close. He's going to be in your face. It's going to be great. 
He's going to be with you through all the junk and all the crap that comes up in your, your day, your week, your month, your year. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, God cares about you on all levels. All levels. Here's one of the cool things uh, in James and in 1 Peter with that um, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. That word grace is charis in Greek. Um, other languages are much more beautiful than ours. Uh, and, and I don't mean that to, to bag on the English language at all. Like, it's just true. We're really rigid, and it's kind of, it's kind of stiff, and it's not very colorful. Uh, our, our words don't, when I speak, I don't naturally, with the words I use, create a lot of word pictures. In other languages, that's not the case. In a lot of languages, a word can create a word picture. And so this word grace creates different kinds of word pictures. You want to know what it creates in this one? I thought it was so, so appropriate. It makes so much sense because this is how God works. When you humble yourself, when you surrender to God, whatever that looks like, maybe physically like this, that word grace actually means aid or help. So when you're worried and I'm worried about whether God is going to give me enough money to pay rent, feed the family, put gas in my car, buy some new clothes, whatever I need, God is actually saying, if, if you would trust me with your life in this circumstance and all the other ones, I've got that all figured out already. I've got you covered. I literally have aid for you. I literally have the resources that you need. I don't have to see it. I just have to know that he's telling me the truth. God is saying, instead of fighting for yourself, let me fight for you. And when you're willing to surrender yourselves in any given circumstance, he's promising to take care of you. This has been God's way throughout all of human history. And here's a little bit of homework to get you started on that. Matthew 6, We didn't talk about any of this. There is a lot this morning that's been said that I'm like, Lord had a plan. But Matthew 6, that's actually Jesus' words. Proverbs 11, 2, Proverbs 29, 23, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 are all things that talk about and God calling us to surrender. And when we surrender, God promises to give us things. So God's not on a power trip. He's on a pursuit of us. God is not on a power trip. He's on a pursuit of you, of me, of us. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole point. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For me, surrender has been this so backwards concept most of my life. And God is trying to remind me, and maybe you, yeah, even if it's backwards to you, trust me. My thoughts aren't yours. <laughs> My ways aren't yours. You may not understand me as well as I understand me or understand you. 
But there's an invitation, an invitation for more, an invitation for something we really desperately want deep down inside. More loving, more hopeful things, more joyful things, more meaningful relationships. And I thought about putting it this way, surrender brings security, brings supply, and brings satisfaction. All the things we really want deep down. Surrender brings manifestations too. Like we develop the awareness of God's presence in our lives. And it will begin to bring understanding of others in a better way. And we'll be willing and able to serve them well. So on the screen, uh, I have a couple other, a whole list of other ways that surrender manifests itself and a challenge for you that you may need to surrender in one of these areas. Um, Band, if you guys wouldn't mind coming up for that last song. Daily living. There's some verses there for you. That should be all of us. (laughs) Parenting. If you're a parent, there's just a couple to get you started. If you are an employee somewhere, there's a couple for you. Bosses, leaders, there's plenty for you. And there's more. (laughs) Marriage. Pastors. I didn't want to leave myself out. There is an, there, this is not an extensive list. This was just me scratching the surface and saying, let's just throw a couple up on the screen. The greatest way for us to bring hope and joy into this new year, into our world, maybe even into our own lives, is through the act of surrender. Now, as we were talking about over the last few weeks, surrender, uh, a song came to Andrew, and uh, he, it came to you in an odd way, didn't it? So, yeah, it was while driving. And uh, he, as quickly as possible, held onto it and penned it. And the, uh, the team's going to share it with us this morning. But here's, here's what I want to challenge you to do. During this song, I want you to continue to ask and reflect, like you already have been throughout the service on areas, ways that you can surrender. Because this is the new year, baby. I believe this is exactly what God is calling his people to do in 2023, is to surrender. That's why it's on January 8th. We've got a whole year ahead of us for this. And so I invite you right now, take some time to seek God, pray. If you need to surrender, Surrender. I'm going to be sitting right down here doing the same thing. So, thanks. Lord, you hear me crying out In my weakness and my doubt I will run into I need your strength to carry me I raise my hands and will be still Surrendering my will I choose to lay my burdens down My fears, 
So we have a directive for 2023 to be a surrendered people to God. As a pastor of this house, I want to encourage you with something. Take one step at a time. If you can go all in, go all in. But I've found in my life, God is really gracious and says, Chris, surrender this thing. It sometimes takes a while. <laughs> surrender this thing. And then he's like, Chris, okay, it's been four years. <laughs> surrender this thing. It's been the journey of my life. I've learned God is in no real hurry. He knows each of our timelines and says, we'll, we'll do it as we need to. So surrender. It's good. It's real good. And my prayer has already been, I've already started before this new year and will continue to be this year. By the time we get to the end of 2023, we will all take a day of review and we will look back and go, huh, the surrender thing worked out. We'll see how it changed our lives. And I pray and I believe and I hope, not wishful hope, like certain hope, that there will be other people's lives changed because you surrendered. That's how this thing works. Start surrendering today. The, the year of 2023, new beginnings, new surrenders, new ventures with God. So prayer team, if you guys, when, uh, whoever's here this morning and available, please come on down. We love you. And uh, if you need prayer, maybe this has stirred some things up for you. We would love to, to walk with you and bear that burden with you through prayer. So, um, so don't be ashamed, afraid, or hesitant to come on up front. All right. We love you guys. Bless you into this next week. And let's go surrender.